Welcome to Time to Gather, a podcast where women talk it through one story at a time so that we can all move towards more purposeful, integrated, and powerful lives together. I'm Melinda Bullen. And I'm Emily Jennings. And we're two working, living, surviving, trying to thrive women living on two different coasts from two different generations with the same love for good conversation, curiosity, and connection. We're imperfect, we're learning, and we are you. And we're so grateful you're here taking the time to gather with us today. Hey, Emily. Hey, Melinda. How's it going there? Oh, it's going so well. And I am so excited about today and the righteous guest we have on. Me too. So in this episode, Jordan Rooklyn bravely shares her story about taking a big risk to help a small town. I met Jordan while working together in Portland. I was her supervisor, and she currently holds the title as the only person I can say this about. As a teammate, she was a person you could count on to speak the truth, see the big picture, and really do what it takes to move change forward. Honestly, when she left our team, underneath all the grief I felt, there was also this huge sense of relief because now I could finally just be friends with this wildly amazing human. Jordan is this phenomenally grounded and deep person who brings humor and humanity to those around her. She has worked in city governments to create lasting change and stuck to her integrity in really gritty situations. She now lives in Southern Oregon with her husband and dog and is someone you always want to get a beer with. And I mean, always. We are continually blown away by her self-reflection and her ability to pivot towards what she is needing. So let's do like Jordan, pivot now, and hear her story. Hi, my name is Jordan Rooklyn, and I'm here to tell you about a leap in my life. Almost two years ago, I applied to a job that I had no business applying to. It was the role of city manager for a small town in Southern Oregon. It wasn't just any small town, though. It was a small town that had been devastated by a wildfire nine months earlier. That fire took one-third of the town's housing and two-thirds of its brick-and-mortar businesses. The town was still trying to clean up the toxic debris when I applied for the role. I met none of the minimum qualifications for the job. I was a 31-year-old woman who had five years of experience in city government, none of which I have to manage people let alone my own budget. I applied because my best friend lived in this town, and she called me every day for three weeks, insisting that I throw my hat in the ring. The day the application was due, I submitted a resume and cover letter, thinking that this would be a job I'd have interest in doing in about 10 years. So I should probably see what the process is like now. Long story short, three months later, I found myself sitting in the role of city manager of Talent, Oregon. I am now 34, two years into my gig helping a town recover not only what it lost, but preparing for a better, more resilient future. My leap was not applying for this job. That part was relatively easy. My leap was in saying yes to this job. My leap was leaving a position I loved, with a paycheck I loved, with a team I really loved, to jump into an unknown that nearly every member of my family warned me against. Do I regret that leap? Absolutely not. Have I suffered? Hell yes. Would I do it again? Likely no. But I am grateful for what I've learned, the people I have met, and for knowing a little more clearly what I want in life. 
Thanks, Emily Melinda, for letting me share my leap. I can't wait to talk with you more about my leap, my blindness, and what's ahead. Wow, I just loved hearing Jordan's story. Um, it, it just, you know, it's a story I already knew uh, because we know her and knew her when she. We were left part of that team. Us. She loved. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you were very much part of that team. I was sort that of team adjacent. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I, there were parts that I, I didn't know to that story. Her, her internal, I think. Yeah. Um, parts of that story that was just really interesting to hear. Yeah, same here. And I didn't really remember how close it was to the wildfire that had mm. taken talent of like, it was just nine months later that she was saying yes yeah. to this role after this huge trauma has swept through this yeah. little town. Agreed. If our mm. listeners don't know about that history, I think it's worth looking up because those communities were just ravished through Northern California and Oregon, Southern Oregon. And um, yeah, for Jordan to have been a part of that recovery and still a part of that recovery, I think is, is so impressive. Yeah, I agree. What came up for you in this, Melinda, in listening to Jordan's story? Yeah, you know what I really appreciated about the story? I loved hearing the whole story, but the thing that really hooked me and kept me thinking um, long after she told it, was that section toward the end where she was talking about um, sort of asking herself some questions. And I think we all do that, right? When we have made a big decision and we're, we sort of have some hindsight, we're looking back. Um, and she talked about, you know, do, do I regret the leap? No. Uh, did I suffer? Yeah. So first of all, I just love her candid honesty. And Me you're going to get to see some of that today uh, when we talk to Jordan. She's just amazing and, and so real. Um, but then she said, would I do it again? Not likely. And I really appreciated that moment because I think that uh, that's not something I feel like I see a lot. I think we're trained oftentimes to, um, even if a decision didn't settle long-term or if maybe it wasn't something that we wanted to keep doing, um, we don't always have the permission to say, I wouldn't do this again, or, or, or maybe, and I'm not saying Jordan is saying this, but I certainly have had moments where I've said, maybe I took a wrong turn, right? Mm -hmm. And I have feelings of regret come up. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was really courageous of Jordan to say, yeah, I, I wouldn't have likely made this, this, the same decision again. Yeah. I know, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought that her not wanting to make the same decision again, but also not regretting the decision was really mm -hmm. interesting. And looking more into regret, it seems to be that we regret the things we don't take action on more than the things we take action on. So I wonder if that's part of it of like, would she have regretted it if she said no? And mm -hmm. what would that look like if she didn't take the action? She took the action, she suffered, she doesn't really want to do it again. But mm -hmm. she doesn't regret doing it. And because of these lessons learned and the people she's met, she mentions towards the end of the story. And it makes me think of this quote that you and I connected on early days mm -hmm. around, uh, which we didn't realize now that we've looked into it, is backed by the science of that people regret inactions more than they regret actions because there isn't that learning opportunity. And so I know you have the Mark Twain version, but I had the Mr. Johnson history teacher version from high school that has like shaped my right. life of he told me, um, when I was trying to make a decision once and it's come into play so many times for myself of like, he's, he was like, you know, Emily, the things I 
regret most aren't the things I did, but the things that I didn't do. And that just stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, It's really forced me to be thinking about things. I mean, I have moments right now that are, are, are fresh regret, you know, questioning. um, (laughs) Just blooming, blossoming regret. You know, blossoming regret. (laughs) But this, you know, things that are going on currently that are a consequence of a decision, right? And I'm really jazzed to talk about this with Jordan, among other things from her story. So should we invite her in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Hey, listeners, the stories our guests have been willing to share are so powerful and the lessons we've been learning run deep. Talking about risks can be hard, but so worth it. And we want everyone to feel like these are conversations they can have, stories they can share in their lives. So we have created a free conversation guide on risk-taking. Head over to our website, timetogatherpodcast.com, download the guide, gather your people, and lead your own conversations about risk. Hey, Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. So excited. So good to see you. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... (laughs) I'm nervous too. Um, yeah. yeah, you hit that record button and the blood pressure just spikes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. recording in progress. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, uh, Melinda and I have talked about we're nervous before every time doing this. So yeah. you're in good company. Thanks for being here. The first thing we want to know is you left a story on a voicemail kind of into the void. How did it feel sharing your story? You know, it felt, it felt good. Um, I got to say, like, you are two of the most amazing women that I know in my life. And so being able to share a story with you two um, is nothing to fear in my book. But what um, it was such a great chance leading up to the recording of the voicemail of just thinking through my life and thinking through what leap am I dealing with most right now um, to be able to talk through with you two today. It's one of the things we've, as we've talked to different women that we're so excited to hear stories from, there are these ideas of like, what does it mean to take a leap? What does that look like? Um, does it need to be this big, shiny thing? Can it be a hard thing? Can it be a small thing? Um, and um, I think there's a lot of um, framing around this idea of risk taking that we absorb, you know, uh, as women. Um, and so really appreciated you sort of going through the Rolodex of memories and, and choosing something that's super relevant and happening to you right now and, and being vulnerable and sharing it. Absolutely. Well, I got to admit, I'm looking forward to dissecting it with you both since I'm in the <laughs> middle of a similar leap, deciding if I should leap out of this role or not. So I'm looking forward to diving right in. Yeah. That, are we ever done taking leaps is what I want to know from this season. Um, Okay. So one of the things that really stood out to me in your story is the roles people play in your lives, in our lives. Like you spoke to your friend calling you every day, encouraging you to apply. And then your every member of your family giving you warnings not to take this job. So I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Like what were the things people saying to you? What different kinds of roles and support or like maybe don't do this showed up? And then how did you make the decision for yourself to say yes? Oh, what a great question. Um, well, first off, I'm absolutely blessed with the people in my life. Um, I have this support circle and this just connection to both friends and family that I think make leaps easier to take. 
mm-hmm. because I have such a supportive system underneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, having my best friend push me to throw my hat in the ring. And then having my family, once I got um, offered the job, you know, my my family is, you know, such a core pillar of my life. And my brother in particular, I have an older brother. He is this incredible, charismatic, he's a teacher. He's got two kiddos, you know, has always been a role model for me. Mm. And one of the things he is so good at is living life in a balanced way, Mm. you know, where he works to be able to play and love life outside of work. Um, His work, he has meeting with, but he's so good at like taking the day off to go skiing or making sure he can show up for, you know, picking up kids after daycare. I am less good at that. And my family knows that I tend to get sucked into the work role. Mm, Um, And so the warnings my family was giving me was, this is a big job. You will get sucked into it. Do you want to do it? Right. Um, And so for me, and I also, my entire family, but myself as well, has a really strong competitive streak. And so it was clouding me while these voices were telling me, Jordan, how a life balance is. Um, so I, I threw my hat into the ring for this job, um, thinking, heck, I'm not even going to make it through the first round, but at least I'll have a cover letter ready for five to 10 years from now. Okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> since the job, so it was the city manager of a small town in Oregon, mm-hmm. and it was an entirely public process, the interview process. Mm-hmm. It was during COVID, so I did my first interview via Zoom. And then I got to go back and watch all of the interviews of the other candidates. Mm. Um, and I did not want this job until I watched those other interviews. Mm. And I realized that the other folks that were interviewing was not the future that I wanted mm. for the Rogue Valley. Um, I grew up in the Rogue Valley. Mm-hmm. And so I really got, um, that's when I wanted to take this job. But to be able to help chart a different direction than business as usual mm. for what um, has happened down here. Um, so my family was looking out for the best for me, but I really wanted to push and challenge to see if I could help shape my community in the direction I wanted it to go in. Um, so a little bit of narcissism in there, likely, um, definitely some competitiveness and wanting to test my mettle wow. is, you know, what ended up winning over in the end. And, and what a test. I, I, you know, our listeners are from all over and they may not know particularly the history of this area at that time. Um, can you just give us a brief sort of background of like literally what you are walking into as a city manager of this town? Yeah. So I grew up in a town five miles away um, from the city of talent, which is the, the place where I applied to become city manager. It is uh, in, it's called the Rogue Valley of Oregon. Really incredibly beautiful setting, lots of vineyards. We have the Shakespeare Festival in our town, um, a lot of farming going on locally. And it's always kind of been this little bubble um, along the I-5 corridor. Two years ago now, almost two and a half years ago, a wildfire came through the area and it destroyed a third of the housing in Talent. Um, and so what this town was facing was rebuilding um, post-fire, but also recognizing that the context of our communities has changed. Like most Mm -hmm. rural areas, all of our communities were bootstrap communities, meaning we did things on our own. We didn't often look for the support of others. But then after that uh, devastation occurred with the fire, 
you know, it was very, very clear that we wouldn't be able to face the challenges of the future by working as a single unit. Mm. We had to reach out and connect with others. Um, so I stepped into the role of city manager one year after the fire occurred. Mm. And that first year entirely was just cleanup of the toxic debris. Wow. Um, which the state was incredible and the state stepped in and really helped make that cleanup happen. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky where I stepped in at a time for hope for the community because we were mm -hmm. seeing the first houses being rebuilt. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so that was really exciting to get to mm -hmm. be a part of the community at that time. Mm -hmm. um, as it was a shift, definitely, mm -hmm. in just the morale around town. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm hearing and how you're telling this story is this deep empathy um, that isn't named as part of why you applied, you said, narcissism, wanting a challenge. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, what are other parts of your leadership style or who you are of why you applied to, and why you said yes and took this leap outside of the things that are easy to humble ourselves with that we as women often say, um, <laughs> and I'm just as guilty of, but like, who are you? Who are you bringing to this that you felt like this is the direction you want your town to go, maybe versus what you saw in the other candidates? Yeah. Um, I'll be open. All of the other candidates uh, were men. Mm -hmm. All of the other candidates were uh, white men that had were from outside the area. Mm. Um, and they presented a very traditional approach to government and a very traditional approach to bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, you know, the approach, that traditional approach is we are here to do this subset of things. We're not here to go beyond it. No right. is often an easier answer than yes in government. Mm -hmm. um, and what I really want, my vision, how, because I, I truly believe institutions are meant to help people's lives. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot mm -hmm. of things wrong with all of our institutional systems. But I believe we can improve them and change them for the better. And, and that's the role that I wanted to play in talent is to have the government be an active tool in our community rebuild. Yes, houses were going up. Um, yes, people were selling their properties. It was it completely changed our housing market and talent. Yeah. But pieces weren't rebuilding. Um, we had lost four out of the five manufactured home parks mm -hmm. to the fire. Um, two of those manufactured home parks were almost entirely Latino communities. Mm -hmm. And they weren't able to rebuild and come back in the same way that stick-built houses were, either because of insurance, because there are no manufactured homes available, and because the price of manufactured homes has gone yeah. up by tenfold right. in oh, the last wow. decade. I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to walk into this into a situation where I could help the government be an active tool in community building and rebuilding. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been amazing. And I I've been so lucky to be able to be on that journey with this town. Not just this town, but all of the partners are helping support recovery. Yeah. Um, but it has taken a lot. Mm. Um, it has been an all-consuming thing in my life. Yeah. Um, which has also been a struggle. I think that's a struggle for us as women in particular. Mm -hmm. Where you two are just absolutely helpers. So we keep helping and keep giving and giving. And, and knowing when it's healthy to draw the boundary or not is a constant struggle. Yeah. It really is. It and you know, I just keep going back to to not just the 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 devastation, the emotional toll this took on a community, 
uh, the changing demographics of the community, but this is also happening during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have that layer happening in terms of not just what we're all experiencing, but the, com the complexity of getting materials, the complexity yeah. of like rebuilding a town in the midst of supply chain issues or whatever it might've been. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's so layered what yeah. you're managing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So layered and um, so cool to get to see front hand and first hand and try to work through those issues. Mm -hmm. You know, the other big challenge post any situation disaster is, uh, you know, I walked into a situation where there was 40% turnover of staff mm. um, post the wildfire. And there was huge uh, conflict between the city council that is, you know, the decision-making body of the city and the staff, the government yeah. staff that implement their positions. Mm. Um, I was the fourth city manager in one year. Oh my wow. goodness. Give you a That's a lot of city managers. Wow. I had no idea. My gosh. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of context to navigate. And, you know, I got to work with you ladies up in Portland. And metro government mm -hmm. is so different than city government, or sorry, than rural government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Relationships matter so much down here. Right, right. Yeah. So it was, it's been a fascinating and very quick study in relationship-based governing. You know, I've, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about um, you're from this area and yet in some ways you were an outside hire to come mm -hmm. in at a really vulnerable time for this community to create big impact. And it sounds like one of the tools that you utilized was relationship building to sort of find yeah. your way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this is something that Emily, you have taught me so much. Mm -hmm. uh, disclaimer alert, Emily used to be my boss, listeners, best <laughs> boss in my life. Um, <laughs> of the best way to build trust or to rebuild trust is to have the personal connection yeah. so that you can work through hard topics together. Mm -hmm. And so my entire first year was focused simply on building relationships Oh. with any person that I could reach out to. Um, and it was um, amazing. No person said no to being willing to help. Wow. The goodness mm -hmm. of humans. The, the goodness of humans. Desire to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. I just have goosebumps. I just like listening to your story when the, you told it was just like the amazing things that women do. Like when you're like, I'm a 31-year-old woman saying yes to this job of this town that just went through devastation and like and now hearing your approach about it like I just want to celebrate you and celebrate your heart and the women in this world just doing really badass fierce loving things all the time so thank yeah. you thank you for taking saying yes to this leap <laughs> I know it's been hard I know there's been suffering and we're going to talk about that too but so grateful for you Emily and I love supporting causes we believe in and that's what time to gather is for us something we believe in that connects and celebrates all of us through stories and wild, amazing, everyday women. If you believe in helping support a space like Time to Gather, consider donating to our podcast by visiting our website, timetogatherpodcast.com, and hitting that donate button. Your donation helps Time to Gather survive and thrive. Thank Agreed. you.
Yeah. Yeah, You know, one of the things that I think Emily and I both noticed in your storytelling, um, and it it definitely um, tapped into something that all of us as women think about, I think a lot, uh, consciously or unconsciously, is this idea of, of being qualified. You had said really explicitly, I was absolutely not qualified for this job. And I've been holding- I wanted to scream at it <laughs> that too, in the story. Like I was like, no! <laughs> Sorry, just had to put that in there. Because we do know you're so you're so amazing. And clearly the the panel knew that too when they hired you. But this idea of, I mean, that's really real. We know how real that is. There is just so much data that talks about how women perceive work, how women perceive job descriptions. Um, and the first thing you sort of said in the story was, I was absolutely not qualified for this job. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Oh, that's such a, a great thing. And that's like the thing that if I could send a, one empowerment message out to any woman or any man or any person is there is no harm in applying. Um, yeah. You know, now that I'm in a role where I'm hiring very regularly, it is, you're right, shocking to me to see the resume and cover letters. And this is, you know, a generalization, but for the most part, one's coming from, folks whose names sound like very typical male names are typically super short, uh, really get to the point, have no problem making statements about themselves in a confident manner. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of like what I would have mm-hmm. to be a woman's cover letter resume, you know, have lots of detail and really long and almost in some ways, as you said, Melinda, apologetic mm-hmm. um, at times. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it Absolutely. is a thing. <laughs> yes. So, you know, get that toe in the door, just submit that resume and cover letter. And, you know, I think the other thing that's really hard for me is that fear of rejection. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, rejection being a sign that I did something I shouldn't have done. Um, which to me is another one of society's impact on women. Yeah. And I don't know, um, I'm so, one moment, I'm so glad that your, your boss or your manager said, heck no, you are so qualified, go for it. And yeah. that's what we, I mean, that was what my friend was doing. You know, every single day, Jordan, just apply, just go do it. And that's the role we have to play for each other. But the other thing I want to recognize, particularly as we grow in our careers and we get into positions of, you know, higher and higher control or power, is the hiring system is a really antiquated system. Um, It it prioritizes extroverts who are comfortable talking in these short interview segments. Mm -hmm. And it prioritizes experience. What is a resume but a list of your experience you've had? Mm -hmm. And so when I say I wasn't qualified, my bullet point for my resume did not fulfill any of the minimum qualifications. I had never managed people before. I had never managed my own budget before. And here I was applying for a role where I oversaw 30 staff and was in charge of a $19 million budget. Wow. It's amazing. It's just amazing. I know. It's unbelievable. It's just awesome. Thank you. And what I like, what I realized and what I would love to help shift in the system is values-based hiring. Oh yeah. Hiring people with the values, knowing that they have the base skills, you can teach them the technical aspects of any job. Um, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, non-technical roles. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a, a wastewater systems operator, yes, yes, please know how to clean the water effectively. That is very important. Right. Um, but you're looking to build a team. 
with the values because the institution will change based off the values that people hold in it. Hmm. And I think so, that's so spot on. Yeah. 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 I just uh, have been in an interview process myself for a job application that I have out in the world. And the most recent interview, they essentially just went through my resume and told me, like asked about ways they saw gaps in my technical ability. And I walked out of that interview being, feeling terrible. Like I know I could do that job. I know that I could transfer my quarter million dollar budget ability to a $3 million budget, but the way that it was phrased and talked about to me made it feel like I couldn't. And I think that happens a lot to people in interview mm-hmm. processes and in looking at the list of the technical skills that are available and then using the system that is like, so it doesn't work. Like interview processes are proven to sh- like not be indicators of how well a candidate performs in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but yet we're using them to kind of weed each other out versus is this mm-hmm. person bringing the values and yeah. mm-hmm. the approach we need? I'm yeah, mm-hmm. just amening to that one. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so remind yourself, Emily, before entering into any interview, this job, I am incredible. <laughs> I am values based. They would be lucky to have me because those are 100% true. Mm, I would agree with that. Everybody out there, use that too. <laughs> Everyone out there. You know, so I don't know if you've heard any feedback from the folks that interviewed you, um, but I guess I'm curious as we're talking about qualifications and sort of, you know, recognizing, I mean, you you clearly saw, here's what they're asking for. I don't have those things. I'm going to move forward anyway. What do you think it was about you that they they decided yes, especially compared to, you know, older white men who had experience managing cities. You know, talent has you know what I we considered a very progressive council. You know mm-hmm. their main focuses are affordable housing, mm-hmm. equity, sustainability. You know climate mm-hmm. change adaptation, and. I think I represented, I think they did a good job of values-based hiring for my role, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I believe that, that the higher up you're hiring an organization, the easier it is to do value-based hiring mm-hmm. because yes. I have the staff and I have the community partners that are the technical experts. Right. Um, and so I'm, you know, so grateful that I was able to lean on the folks that did have the knowledge in all of the areas that I was not knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in part the, another reason too is I was different than what they've experienced and they had gone through such difficult times with my predecessors mm-hmm. that I think they were more willing to take a chance mm-hmm. on someone green behind the ears mm-hmm. um, and I wonder I do wonder at times and I don't like that I wonder this but is it also because I was young and female that they mm-hmm. thought they might have a little bit more mm-hmm. um control or impacts in in what I did versus if I was mm. you know an older white male and you showed them well <laughs> I don't at least know. I'm assuming I that I don't know if that's if true that's but... like bitterness talking coming out or societal <laughs> pressures um yeah. but um I think I think I I did catch folks by surprise yeah as well as myself in the level of um good things that we've been able to make happen mm. well how about we take a break and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. That sounds perfect. Hi all. While we're taking a break, let me tell you about some other ways to connect with time to gather. 
You can find more episodes, resources, and more on our website, timetogatherpodcast.com. And don't forget to connect with us on social. Find out the latest podcast news, preview new episodes, connect with other listeners, and get to know your hosts, Melinda and Emily, through our regular posts. You can find the Time Together podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. All right. Welcome back. So sorry, guys. I thought that was it. So I apologize. <laughs> okay. And- All right. Now, welcome back. Um, so, Jordan, one of the things that came up for Melinda and I when we listened to your story and we talked about a little bit pre-recording this episode is the role of regret in the decisions mm-hmm. we make. Um, when telling your story, you said, do I regret this? No. Have I suffered? Yes. Would I do this again? Probably not. Um, so how did regret show up or not show up for you in this leap and then since taking the leap? Yeah. You know, I'm not, I have learned so much in this journey and I have, I'm in a spot where, you know, and as you say, I'm stressed, but blessed. <laughs> and so I can't have any regret because I like the moment I'm in in life. I am so mm-hmm. lucky with all the things around me and going on and the support I've had. Um, so regret really doesn't play a role in it. For me, this job in particular probably has been the most, the largest chasm that I've left across. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've done leaps like, you know, moving in with the boyfriend too soon, moving in X, Y, Z. Um, this one was the biggest leap in terms of challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And it's been, I think I mentioned earlier, all consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, where to participate in this job, I have lost almost all other aspects of my life. Mm. Yeah. You know, I have only seen my niece and nephew twice in a year period. I have stopped exercising. Mm-hmm. I now eat out all the time. Um, I don't mm-hmm. stay in contact with people I love. I, you know, I've never had kids of my own, but it's the anecdote of your first two years of parents. You don't even remember because you are just so exhausted and all consumed of keeping this incredible creature alive. Yeah. And for me, the role of city manager in talent has been, you know, my anecdotal equivalent of having a newborn mm. is I'm trying yeah. to figure out just how to keep the ship afloat. Mm. Um, and so I am at the reckoning of what, level of life balance do I want and am I okay with in my life Mm. Um, I think uh Emily knows but I don't know if you know um I went through a miscarriage during my two years uh being in a city manager role Mm. and I've struggled to get my health back to a place where we can start trying again um and as women because I know both of you are this way too is I am at that nexus of career trajectory mm-hmm. family trajectory and how can I hold both simultaneously yeah mm-hmm. um and I haven't come to any clear conclusions or knowledge about how to approach it mm-hmm. so that's the existential crisis of the moment yeah but also like a very real grounded crisis like I don't think it gets mm-hmm. more day-to-day life than how do I live my life every day in a way that feels good for me like, mm-hmm. and feels yeah. good for my body and my family and the people I love and the ways I want to serve in this world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yes. I'm terrified of leaving the workplace as a woman too, because mm-hmm. it's hard to get back into it, you mm-hmm. know, once you are ready to re-enter. Yeah. And there's this feeling of something to prove too. I've been struggling with the similar thing of starting to like explore starting a family while being out of work, but wanting to re-enter the workplace, but knowing I want to be there for like my health and how much I've learned around taking care of myself this last year. And like, how do I do that while also like having a career and doing like purpose-driven change in the world? I just got uh, diagnosed with endometriosis, which mm-hmm. is a really painful chronic condition. And I've had a lot of fear bubble up of like, how do I be, do how do I do work well in pain mm-hmm. versus like, how do I take care of myself? Like that's where the fear is going is how can mm-hmm. I keep powering through? Cause that's what I've done for 20 years. Yeah or shedding the thought that taking care of ourselves is a selfish act. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's something that, you know, I've struggled a lot and I have some good friends who work in climate change activism mm-hmm. and, you know, constantly feeling like you're not sacrificing enough because we haven't changed the trajectory. Mm-hmm. It's it tough. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those, yeah, those, those big, hard to solve problems, the problems that you can't see change quickly. I mean, that mm-hmm. can be um, so exhausting and can lead to such burnout for, you know, without question. Um, but pouring all of ourselves into it isn't the answer either, right? But that's sort of what we're, I think, I think all three of do. us have done that. Yeah, yeah. Like all three of us have been in that place where we poured exactly. all of ourselves into it. Yeah, I think that is why mm-hmm. there's just such deep empathy for what where you've been. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so I create a self-check that I'll mm. share with you guys. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's useful or not. Well, I have two self-checks. Mm-hmm. You know, one is my husband. When he's like, Jordan, it's time. I've decided that I wanted to listen to those words, of nice. course, as my most trusted <laughs> partner. But my second one is the do I like who I am outside of work? Mm. And I realize that I, I like who I am at work. I'm like pouring my full self into it. I'm doing it, but it's outside of work. I'm not someone who I want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to be a person that stays in regular contact with the people I love. I want to be a person that goes for a walk every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, I think that's the realization I've come to where now that I'm two years into this job mm-hmm. is I need to find the balance that allows me to like myself in all contexts. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the the role um, and where this town is, is there the space to even take that? I mean, we can demand it, we can make decisions that put us in a position to, to draw those hard lines, but I'm curious about when we're in an organization or when we're in a particular role and we've been operating from a certain way, how do we shift the trajectory and, and take more space for ourselves? Yeah, I think I'm recognizing that I am not the personality type that's able to set. I think one of the things this job has taught me is the importance of setting those style boundaries at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think it's, uh, I've been trying tactics these last six months to help adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the current context with the city council that I have, they want to get so much done. And they want to have so much accomplished, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Um, but I don't have it in me to get the community there. Mm-hmm. 
if I also want to have the balance of liking who I am again outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? It's the uh, control the things that we can. Mm-hmm. Change thing, you know, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. that beautiful saying is, um, <laughs> is I'm recognizing that I don't have the power to control the current context to help me get that balance. Yeah. Is there a freedom in that realization of like, oh, this isn't me. This is the context I'm, I'm existing within. No, it's more sadness. Mm, I would say. Yeah. Um, I'm sad that I can't be everything I want to be to this town and also to myself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sad that I'm, you know, going to step away from a team that is doing hard and good work. And I feel like I'm abandoning them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say my, my feeling is mostly sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also makes me want to keep climbing the career ladder to move into positions of higher and higher power to have the control over the context and the culture. <laughs> Jordan yeah. Rickland for president. I've said it before oh God, and I'll no. say it again. I can't. I don't want to go prematurely, Greg. It's yeah. president. I know. They really look older after four years. It's so true. Really um, God bless them. Um, you know, and, and to whatever degree you want to share that, I mean, and you may not know, but out of just sheer curiosity on my part, what are you thinking about in terms of next steps? I mean, Ooh, I think I'm so wrapped up and still so much of my time is spent on the job. So I'm still in the position. I haven't the mental bandwidth to even envision what's next. Yeah. And it's, you know, I am really in a privileged spot where I think I'm able to step back from this job and take the time to figure that out. Good. I don't need to walk into a position right away, um, yeah. which is so not the case for so many people in this world. So mm-hmm. recognizing that for me, one something that stuck hard really, really hard for me uh, in these past few months is a friend told me, Jordan, you have 30 years left in your career. If you can't take a two to four year break to focus on starting a family or being a family and get yourself back into the same position you are now within 10 years of that 30 years, Mm -hmm. you're selling yourself short. Mm -hmm. So so I think reality check. Reality. It was a good reality check. Yeah. So I'm realizing um, that I think for me, this next phase is finding a job where I do have much more lifetime. You know, I do have the flexibility to um, work from home. So in case that we do get pregnant and have kids that I could be around for nursing and, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, Z, a slow down moment, I think mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking of next. That's beautiful. I love the look of slow, slowing it down. <laughs> a good thing. Mm. Um, you know, uh, what do you, um, as we're, as we're sort of closing out our time together, although I feel like we could just keep, I don't ro- want to keep rolling, <laughs> I know, just keep going. Um, what would you tell the you that took the leap and said yes to this role? Ooh. girl, don't do it. No, I shouldn't do that. There's no regret. Um, I think for me, if I had if I had taken this role five years from now, or even ten years from now, it would have not have cost me so much of myself. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that made me excited about taking it is it was a huge leap up the ladder. I just yeah. skipped about four or five rungs. Um, 
and telling myself it's okay to take the rungs one step at a time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. What would you tell yourself, like future you, as you're about to take this next leap? Ooh, future me as I take this next leap. Um, live a little. Live a little? <laughs> live a little. <laughs> yeah. What does live a little look like? Like margaritas and like, like umbrellas, like sun umbrellas. I'm just yeah, <laughs> like envisioning. Gardening. Like, yeah. you know, mm. being a more silly, I think. So my role is a very public facing role. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, constantly feeling like a public figure in a small town because I know everyone. Yeah. Right. It's hard. And letting myself relax that control of self a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, becoming more comfortable with being silly and making mistakes. I think that's one of the pieces I've lost along the way. Mm, yeah. The silliness of you is one of the most beautiful parts of you too. Like <laughs> silly Jordan is my favorite Jordan. So yeah, let her free. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 But uh, that answer could very well change in a week too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay. That's part of the journey. I think what I want to be aware of, I'm going to ask you too, to also help check me on this, is I get a lot of my self-worth through work. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of my affirmations through work. And to help me remind myself that I can find that affirmation elsewhere, and I should be finding it elsewhere. And so I don't need to jump back into the fray just to have purpose again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that not a real feeling? Yeah. I've struggled with my accomplishments being my self-worth and like external motivators being my self-worth so much Mm -hmm. and being somebody who's been lucky enough to step away from career for a year now. Good Lord. Do I like myself better than Mm -hmm. I did in any of those other phases of life? Like, Mm -hmm. and so I'm so grateful that you're exploring this chance to take the time to get to learn who you are in your Mm thirties and Mm -hmm. after many years of hustling and doing and trying out new things and leaping past rungs you had to climb back down the ladder and go back to who who jordan is yeah we gotta turn that ladder into like a zip line or something way more fun to deal yeah. with through the jungle <laughs> through the jungle remember that shoots and ladders game as kids yes yes the up and the down you know but, but not necessarily yeah. the tub of snakes or whatever it was that you would slide into right <laughs> i was like legitimately scared of that game because of the snakes, the snakes. Oh, like, really? yeah. i almost yeah. had the g-rated game i don't even remember the snakes. i think so have, like, i think you can climb the, you can climb the ladders <laughs> the slides i think don't the slides get you to like a thing of snakes, snakes. Am I making that up? snakes? okay no yeah. i remember snakes yeah, i remember not playing time. specifically <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah i think uh yeah um you know, I'm curious about, and, and again, you know, share what you're interested in sharing, but for the time being, um, you may likely stay in the town that you've been managing, but not necessarily managing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you've built all of these strong relationships. It's helped you have great impact. You've grown immensely. Um, what do you think that's going to feel like to continue to be in community with these folks, but not in this particular position anymore? Yeah, I think it's going to feel lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, this is a community that's just, you know, so kind and so supportive, particularly post-disaster where it's really been a collective effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people will ask me a lot more 
politics questions <laughs> now that I won't be in the job and you know we'll diplomatically yeah, set those sure. aside um so I think it'll be fun to be able to just be a person in the midst mm-hmm. um, rather than being constantly on the job mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I'm uh excited to be just a volunteer and a neighbor to be yeah. in community there's to be in community together and yes. this little community that we got to be in together today, right now. Mm-hmm. I appreciate all three of you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for taking the time to gather with us today. Keep our connection strong by visiting us at timetogatherpodcast.com or by following the Time to Gather podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you. What resonated today? What are your stories? What risks have you taken? We love connecting with you and doing this work. Head over to our website and hit the donate button to help keep the stories coming. We're a grassroots, lo-fi effort, and your support is both needed and appreciated. Thank you, and we can't wait to gather with you again.